You're listening to the Seahawks Insiders. Russell takes the snap, steps up in the pocket, looks, has time. Now he's going to throw. Tyler Lockett looks for the ball. He's got it. Touchdown, Seahawks. Getting you ready for Seahawks football every Sunday. The handoff inside to Carson starts up the middle, now bounces it across the line. He's in. Touchdown, Seahawks. Powered by Seahawks.com. Welcome to the Seahawks Insider Podcast as we get you ready for the Seahawks Week 2 game against the Pittsburgh Steelers and recap our impressions from Week 1 against the Cincinnati Bengals. John Boyle joins us from Seahawks.com as always. John? Hello, Jen. How are you? Fantastic. The Seahawks are 1-0, and and I don't care how they did it. They did it, and that is a much better way to go on the road than the alternative. Well, exactly. We were talking about a loss this time last year. So, hey, you know, they're not always pretty in the NFL. I think fans sometimes lose track of that, that it's really hard to beat anybody in this league. So you take them where you can get them, even if they don't go exactly how you want. I would agree. And an ugly win is better than a pretty loss any day of the week. And you know what? Nobody on that sideline thought that it was uh, the best win, but the week one getting off to a good start is exactly what they wanted to do. We will break down our reaction to that game, look ahead to the Steelers game, get some overreaction, and perhaps dispel some of those overreactive moments and thoughts that are out there. Because really, you can look at the numbers from that Bengals game in a lot of different ways. And John, I know that when a lot of fans look at it, they say, well, the Seahawks gave up more passing yards than any team in the league week one. And I would say that there's a caveat to that. Yeah, there's a couple. First of all, 55 of those came on an absolutely preventable play at the end of the half. It's not one of those oh, well, they missed that, but they might have moved the ball later. Like, that was the very end of the half. If that ball doesn't get over Tedder Thompson for a touchdown, the half's over. Seahawks either intercept it, break it up. So that's 55 yards and seven points. It absolutely shouldn't have happened. They had a really cool trick play design with that flea flicker that caught the Seahawks. I mean, you can't excuse that because they, they did a good job, but that's, you know, the kind of play that you weren't really expecting to give up. But then the other thing, more than any of that, Pete Carroll talked about this. They came into this game. This was the kind of game where they were content to give up some yards. They wanted to kind of keep things in front of them, keep it pretty basic. This was an offense they didn't really know what the Bengals were going to throw at them with the new head coach. You know, Pete Carroll kind of joked about they're going to rope a dope them. And if you take out a free touchdown essentially, and they gave him a free field goal in the first half when Cody Barton accidentally ran into the punter. If you take out those 10 points and just say, okay, you gave up 330 passing yards or whatever it would have been, 350, but hold them to 9 points, 10 points, you're talking about a really good defensive performance. So, you know, yeah, there's stuff to clean up. They they need to be cleaner in the back end especially, but I'm not – I don't watch that game and think, oh, man, this defense is in trouble. Well, especially when you look at they allowed just 34 yards rushing, 51 passing attempts for Andy Dalton, and I think part of that is just the new offense that Zach Taylor is putting in over there. We'll see if Cincinnati ends up being for real, but you know there's something legit about the Seahawks' defense when you hold them to less than 40 rushing yards. Exactly, and that was, you know, a big part of that game plan also. We saw the Seahawks play a ton of base defense. Part of that's just because they really like their linebackers and feel like they can cover guys. But part of it, too, is I think they went into that looking at 
look, if we can make them just throw the ball a ton and, like I said, keep it in front of them and all that, I think the Seahawks felt pretty good if they could stop the run, so they played a ton of base. And if you look at the quotes from Zach Taylor after the game, he said, you know, they put us personnel-wise in a position where they realize running the ball is going to be kind of foolish. So, you know, if you're running base against 11 personnel, three receivers on the field, you kind of made them one-dimensional. And, yes, they got a lot of yards, but other than two pretty preventable big plays, you kept everything in front of you and kept it pretty clean. So there's a couple of things with that. When you talk about playing base defense, yeah, we saw three linebackers on the field a whole lot on Sunday, perhaps more than we've ever seen in the Pete Carroll era because, I mean, they've just played so much with the nickel in the last couple of years. Is it really Michael Kendricks that allows that to be possible, or is there more to this? I think it's both. I think his athleticism and just the overall trust they have in all three linebackers to cover guys, to be in the right spot, that's part of it. But I think this might have – we'll see how it goes in the next few weeks. But I think this might have been a little bit game plan specific, the unknown of your opponent. And Ugo Amadi was out of that game for a little bit with that shoulder injury. You know, maybe they didn't want to throw Akeem King in who hadn't maybe been practicing there as much during the week. So there are a lot of factors involved. I, I don't want to overreact to one game and say, like, oh, this team's going to be base-heavy all year because of Michael Kendricks. But, yes, his athleticism, his playmaking ability, his football smarts, it makes you feel more comfortable doing that than you would with a lot of other linebackers. You mentioned the word overreacting again, so here's the next overreaction that I'd like to address, and that is the play of the secondary. And you, we took care of a little bit of that. You know, on three big plays, you take that chunk yardage out. The final numbers don't look nearly as lopsided. But is it an overreaction to say that they need to make some personnel changes in the secondary? And I've also got Jamar Taylor in mind knowing that they signed him with a potential injury to Ugo Amati. Yeah, we'll see what happens this week. I mean, we, we don't know for sure about Tedrick Thompson now. He showed up on the injury report with a with a hamstring injury and didn't practice Wednesday. So, you know, we don't know the severity of that yet. Pete Carroll hasn't talked about it yet. So maybe that's a factor as well. But Look, he made a couple mistakes. We saw the very glaring one, but I don't think that's enough if he's healthy to get him benched, but who knows? I'm not Pete Carroll. On the flip side of that, I'll say Shaquille Griffin played fantastic when we talk about the secondary, broke up a bunch of balls. He looked great. Trey Flowers, you know, wasn't great necessarily by his standards, but I think people overreacted a little bit to his game because of the penalty that was pretty iffy and a few other plays. Um, we'll see what happens at nickel with Ugo's health. They did bring Jamar Taylor back in, who was great in camp. I don't think you're going to see much, if any, fall off if you do go with him. So, uh, And Bradley McDougald's going to be solid wherever you put him back there. So, you know, we'll see what happens with that safety spot. But, I, you know, again, I think we need to give that group a little more time before we judge it too harshly. And how much of any of these overreactions, whether we're talking about the defensive side of the ball or the offensive side of the ball, really comes down to shaking off rust because the Seahawks chose to give their starters a lot of extra time in the preseason to watch and get the mental reps. Yeah, and I think we might be seeing more of that around the league as more and more teams do that. You just you're going to see some some I don't know, yeah, sloppier is probably the right word, some sloppier football this time of year of teams figuring things out, you know, kind of and maybe the playing field will be leveled cuz a lot of teams are doing this, but yeah, it's it's not going to be, you know, that offense didn't play together nearly as much in this preseason as they have in past years. The defense, some of those veterans didn't play a lot. So I think we're going to see a lot of improvement over the next couple of weeks. Here's another overreaction that has uh, kind of come around with the defensive side. And I think this is a good overreaction, but I want to know if I should moderate my emotions. 
is Jadavian Clowney as advertised? And I know we didn't see him paired exactly the way we expected, but still. Yeah, I think he might be. I mean, (laughs) (laughs) you're right. You don't want to just, like, assume he's going to put up all these huge numbers and double-digit sacks and all that. But when you think of the situation he was coming into, he wasn't practicing in Houston. He was holding out. He comes in, new team. You know, he's not fully up to football speed yet, and he still made a pretty big impact on that game. Not just the plays he made, but he drew a hold. He put some pressure on at time. One of Quint Jefferson's sacks came where Andy Dalton was flushed out by a Jadavian Clowney pass rush. He's going to get better whenever you get Ziggy Ansah back, whenever you get LJ Collier back. It's just going to make him that much better because it's, you know, classic case of you can't double team everybody. You can't put extra attention on everybody. So, it's, you know, it, it's going to, I think, just get better for Clowney as he both gets into better shape and that group gets deeper and they can kind of throw more looks at teams. And he's just going to get more comfortable with his teammates, with the offense. I was talking to Clint Hurt, and he talked about, you know, you hear about offensive line continuity and guys playing together, but that matters in pass rushing too because, you know, if you're going to do a stunt, you know what this guy's going to do. You know how this guy will handle this block. And w- the classic example of that is over the years we saw Michael Bennett and Cliff Averill play off of each other and help each other out and, you know, kind of get stats for each other by what they did to take on a blocker. So, yeah, I, I mean, I don't want people to just assume he's going to be defensive player of the year and get 20 sacks or something, but I think we can expect a very productive and disruptive year from him. I thought it was pretty telling that after the game, A, he said that he was knocking Rust off, which did not look like that from my vantage point on the sidelines, but he also said that that kind of rotation that the Seahawks ran kept him fresher than he's ever yeah, been he's in always his entire been a, career. Yeah, he's always been a you know 90 to 95% playing time guy. That's never been what the Seahawks do with guys. I mean, it, I think at the peak of playing time, Michael Bennett might have been playing 90%, but they liked it better when he was so a little lower down. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the, the classic example is 2013 when they were as deep as they ever were, and you know, the, I think Michael Bennett led them playing time at like 55%. Yeah. I mean, it was him, Cliff, Clem, all those guys just kind of spread out the playing time. And, yeah, I mean, they want to get Clowney on the field a lot because he's a great player, but they're not going to ask him to be an every-down guy, and that's going to help him over the course of the year. Yeah, we'll talk about what that defense could look like this week in just a minute. But let's flip over to the other side of the ball and some of the overreactions that happened after week one. And let's start with Tyler Lockett. You know, the the emergence of Tyler as the number one, that's what we had talked about all during training camp. And now there's a little bit of a concern after the Bengals double-teamed him a lot on Sunday that maybe we overreacted to that. What do you think? I'm not too worried about Tyler Lockett. Uh, You know, teams are going to give him more attention. I mean, it's it's natural that you don't have Doug Baldwin in there. Tyler becomes the focus. It's going to be a little harder for him at times this year, but if DK Metcalf keeps going out and making plays and making big catches, you're going to have to pay attention to him more as well just because the unique size and speed combination he presents. So, A, I think if he gets going, that's going to help Tyler out. But, B, this game, CX ran, like, what, 50 plays on offense. They struggled a little bit to protect Russell Wilson, so there were times I would be willing to bet that the ball was supposed to find Tyler and they couldn't get the throw off, either because Russell had to scramble or he got sacked or just had to rush a throw. So, it's you know it was it was a tough game for a lot in a lot of respects for getting that passing game going the way they like it. Look, I'm not worried about Tyler. he's if you list the entire roster of guys I have concerns about their play, he's going to be near the bottom. Should we temper expectations with DK Metcalf, which is really tough to do right now? Yes and no. I mean, if 89 yards doesn't seem that crazy, but if you project that 89 yards a game, that's a 1400 yard season. That's not going to happen. Like, it'd be great if it did, but. 
from that standpoint, yes, we should not expect 89 yards every game. But he's such a unique talent, and he did that coming off of missing three preseason games and a good chunk of camp. So he's still knocking off some rust and learning. He's, I think he's a much more like complete player than people were giving him credit for coming out. He's a better student of the game and knows the position better than I think a lot of people just saw. What he was asked to do in Mississippi was pretty limited. It was you know pretty much you run the go routes and stretch the field and use that talent. And he's really good at that, as we saw in the 42-yard catch. But he's he's a more complete guy than people realize. So I think he's what he showed is that he's ready right now to, to be an impact player in that offense. And to me, it shows that he has already earned the trust of Russell Wilson. Oh, for sure. And, and we his coaches. Know, and his coaches. And we know from having covered Russell so long, he is very conservative in those moments. So that 42-yard play where – you know, DK shielding two defenders and still goes up, uses his body to make the catch. I mean, that's – Russell doesn't throw that if he knows that there's any shot outside of DK of getting that ball because he is so programmed not to turn the ball over to take that kind of a shot, I thought was the most impressive thing. Yeah, and Russell's talked about that a, a lot throughout the whole process of just how much work they've done together, the offseason stuff they did down in L.A. And, you know, to an extent – He's easier to trust because of his physical skill set that, you know, as Pete Carroll and John Schneider talked about when they drafted Metcalf, those guys are so rare, and that's why teams covet them. It's it's a little easier to take a chance and trust a guy who's 6'4", 220, than a guy who's 5'11", 205. But a true receiver, right? And yeah. the Seahawks have had big guys there before, and I'm thinking of Ricardo Lockett or Chris Matthews, right? They were big-bodied receivers, but they weren't the same type of receivers. You know, they didn't have the same type of hands or the same body control. They were fast. They could stretch the field. They could help you out. But I do think that the Seahawks were more intentional with getting that complete and the it's a bit of a stretch because he's a rookie, yeah. but you know where I'm going with yeah. the entire skill set. Exactly. He's, you know, the guys you mentioned were available when they were because they weren't as complete. And that's exactly, I mean, Ricardo Lockett's as fast as you're going to find in the NFL, but he was a track guy who was coming to football late and he wasn't as big as what we're talking about. And Chris Matthews was a big guy, but he wasn't as polished a receiver. He was a, you know, guy who was kind of kicking around looking for opportunities this is a guy who played in the SEC and was highly productive. He's got pedigree. You know, his dad played in the NFL, which, you know, that doesn't always guarantee success. But when you're around the game that much, it certainly helps you. So, yeah, he's there's a reason he was talked about as a first-round pick. The Seahawks feel really fortunate that he fell to where he did. And, yeah, he's not perfect and he's not complete package yet, but he looks awfully good for a guy in week one who, again, was out for a lot of camp. Last week, I said that I wanted to see Chris Carson rush for over 100 yards for the Seahawks to rack up. I think I said 140 yeah, yards. They, they did fell not a little short there. That. So as we break down the final point of overreaction and transition it into this week's game, how much of what we saw was truly a great defensive line from the Cincinnati Bengals? It, that's a big part of it. I mean, if you talk to Pete Carroll, you talk to the linemen this week, nobody's happy with how they played. That group came in we've heard it from Dwayne Brown over and over they came in with really high expectations for themselves and they didn't feel like they lived up to them but of all the things when you look at the Bengals they had a rough finish to last season they changed coaches there's a lot of question marks there the one thing you can look at that roster and say right away is 
that D line is loaded. We talked about it last week. That's this really the strength of their team, and they played really well. They geared up to stop the run, and they did a good job of it. Well, and I think perhaps one of the other overreactions that I had going in is that the offense really was ahead of the defense. You know, oftentimes it is the defense that carries the team. I think we saw that with the Bengals. They came out firing, and the offensive line needed some time for some continuity and to get together. So let's spin this forward to what we're expecting to see from Pittsburgh. And, John, here's what I would like to just go out on a limb and say. The Seahawks score points in this game. Let's hope so. It's been a while, as, as I'm sure Seahawks fans have probably remembered, that Seahawks have been shut out there their last two trips in 2011 and 2007. So, look, the Seahawks have never been shut out with Russell Wilson's quarterback. I'll knock on wood for that. But I I feel pretty good about this offense that they'll, they'll be – better than what we've seen over there for sure well and if you go back to that game in 2011 that was a shutout that was the last time the Seahawks had been shut out it was 24 nothing and that was the game that really changed the franchise around I mean that's the one where you really took notice and John Schneider and Pete Carroll said yeah that's not happening again yeah. you know we are There's going to take steps them I think it was, was the Oakland game also yep. where they got beat up pretty good in Oakland yeah yep, the following week I mean yeah. that, that was the two-week stretch of games that I think really helped set in motion what we're seeing now and yeah I would say that the Seahawks go in there and score points. I would say you have to get the running game going. But, you know, Ben Roethlisberger is going to be the key to the game. And you cannot look at the score from last week against New England and think that this is going to be a cakewalk because if I had to guess, I think it's going to look an awful lot like week one for the Seahawks. Yeah, I think this is going to be a really tough game. Both these teams are going to, you know, I think they're both going to make it tough on each other in different ways, and I would be stunned if either team runs away with this one. I think, you know, what we saw week one of a game down to the wire that isn't always the most aesthetically pleasing, that that could play out again. So defensively, it has got to be to stop Ben Roethlisberger, which is really tough because I got to tell you, the last time we played there, I literally ran into him in kind of the tunnel area. He was He's coming not up small. He is a huge man. Yeah. And no wonder that he doesn't go down. You are not going to sack him, and Al Woods was a teammate with him. And when I ask, what have the most successful teams done against Ben, they said they put a hand in his face early and often because he wants to climb the pocket. And so what does that mean knowing that there's a pretty good chance that Ziggy Ansah returns this week and LJ Collier is practicing, so if he's on the field and you've got Jadavion, why is this the perfect confluence of events? Yeah, I mean, you just said it. You need to get a hand in his face. You need to get guys there and disruptive. And even if he's hard to sack and get down, if you're just disrupting him, you're hitting him, you're making him uncomfortable in the pocket, that's really – we talked about the back end earlier and some of the issues they had in the secondary. That best way to help those guys is to get the ball out quick. You know, Quentin Jefferson's coming – we should mention him. He's coming off a great game, and now he gets to go home, play his hometown team – he was 11 years old when Ben Roethlisberger was drafted, which is kind of crazy to think. And was, How you know, about that? Grew up a Steelers fan. Brandon know. Jackson yeah. as well. So now you're going out and trying to sack the, the guy you grew up watching and cheering for. So it's, uh, I think the Seahawks pass rush could be pretty key to, to their success or lack thereof if they don't win the game. Well, and how much do you expect Pittsburgh to run versus throw? Because that ratio was way off on Monday yeah. night. They ran the ball just 13 times for 32 yards. I'm sure we'll see more of it. I mean, they're they're the kind of team that doesn't mind to shoot. You, know, you think of like the old Steeler teams that are you know grinded out and pound the ball, but they've they've kind of evolved with Roethlisberger and a team willing to spread it out and sling it. But that, I mean, they were behind that whole game. They got down so early that they had to throw it. So yeah, I would I would think you're going to see more of Connor and and more of the running game. But you know, I, I would still expect to see Roethlisberger throw it around quite a bit. 
And the use of James Conner, it's not Le'Veon Bell, but he does look a little similar out there. There, there are still some a really good player. Yeah, I mean, he's not maybe quite the dynamic pass catching type guy, but I mean, he's coming off a huge year last year, and they they got a lot of faith in him, which is part of the reason they moved on from Bell. But it, yeah, I you know I think they're probably going to try to run it at him. But it you know going back to our earlier conversation, we'll be curious to see what they do and how the Seahawks respond in terms of will we see all that base defense again? Or are they going to change it up? Do we see some nickel and you know, I'd be really curious. I, I, I'm one of the things I really want to see the next couple of weeks is just how the defense evolves and kind of what they do with these different pieces on the defensive line, what they do with you know different c- coverage looks. I, this, this defense kind of fascinates me. Just I think there's more dynamics in play than some of the past years. One question about the Seahawks offense before I get your thoughts on what you need to see this week, and that is knowing that the linebackers are probably the core of the Steelers' defense. And you don't really want to get in a shootout with Ben Roethlisberger, is my guess. I don't know. That last one in Seattle was pretty fun. Well, that's true. Maybe it's just my heart that doesn't need <laughs> any more. That's hard. Thirty-nine, thirty. That was a well. Where to, yeah, it was a fun one. But where I'm going with this is, does the running <laughs> game need to, need to step up this yes, week, absolutely. or is it just a matter of look? I, I don't care. Score at least thirty points, and you're fine. Uh, well, I mean, I think if you score thirty points, you'll be in pretty good shape. But to to the earlier point of you know, not not wanting to put too much on on Russell in the passing game, and with, with kind of the, some of the issues of protection they had last week, I would love to see them kind of go out and run the ball the way they want to. I'm sure that's going to be a big focus. Yeah, I you know I don't think they need to rush for 200 yards to win this game, but you need to be better than you were last week. Okay, then what do you need to see this week from the Seahawks? I've got an answer, but do you want to go first? Yeah, sure. I want to see. Last week you wanted specific, so let's go 120 rushing oh. yards. Okay. Plus one or better in the turnover. Okay. And. How many? I, I'm going to go pass rush for my last one because we talked about you got to get in his face. Let's say not sacks, but let's say eight quarterback hits. Man, you and I almost lined up. I was going to say five quarterback hits. I'm greedy. Eights, eights a lot. I was going to say a hundred rushing yards, but I wanted to see both Chris Carson and Rashad Penny get up over that 50-yard mark, which I realize means that you have more than 100 rushing yards. But that would be a big leap, considering what we saw last I'll, week. I also I wouldn't mind seeing the offense get to more plays so we see some of the process and yeah. see kind of that dynamic. It, you know, the, one of the things New England did well was get their backs involved in the passing game, and that's something we know process does well. So that, that, that could be another interesting element if they can get him involved. All right. Well, I think that that is enough things to watch for in Pittsburgh. We hope that you are listening and watching the game. Of course, we've got all the action on the Seahawks radio network. John Boyle will be writing about it all weekend long on Seahawks.com. And we will be back with you next week, hopefully, after the Seahawks improve to 2-0 on the season.